Hey guys, good morning. My name is John or JT. Uh, I had the pleasure to speak last week if y'all were here. And I'm excited to get to do it again this morning. And uh, I want to start by just getting real with each other. I'm, I'm going to have you guys hopefully be a little interactive with this start. Um, I love me and my college friends often when we'd have meals together. I remember a lot of specific times where we had this one friend specifically. Everyone kind of has that one friend, hopefully. This is the one who's just uh, missing a little something in his head, maybe, and he's more down to do things that normal people wouldn't do. And often we would think of, you know, crazy things, and I know I'm standing up here about to preach from the Word, but one that comes to mind is uh, we were like, dude, how much do we have to pay you to literally streak from, we were like across the other side of university, uh, like Subway, we're like, how much to streak home? How much would we have to pay you? And this was like a real discussion. We, th- we started talking about how much we would, we would give up for him to go do that and how much it would take him. And it really wasn't much. It was like $400. But we legitimately raised like 300 something and he wouldn't do it. So basically it was bluffing and we called it. But uh, I want to ask you guys a couple questions this morning along this idea of how much it would take you to do something. And, and this isn't something that is compromising your morals. But uh, if someone was to ask you, would you spend a year without internet for a million dollars? I want you to raise your hands. If you, you get a million dollars the day after the year is done, but you can't use the inter- internet for a year, who's getting paid? Okay, there's, some, there's a lot of hands there. Okay. What about you have to get a tattoo and it says that I am a sellout. You, you have to get it either on your chest or your back or your arm. So it can be covered most of the time, but you can't put it on like your thigh where nobody can see it. So who would do that? For a million. Million dollars. Wow, just four people. Okay. That's still, I'm a sellout. It's permanently tattooed on you. Four million dollars. Uh, what about, no, you can't get it removed. That's not a part of the deal. Uh, would you listen to only opera, opera music for the next five years? So you're only listening to opera music for the next five years, but you're getting a million dollars. Okay. Some of you guys are solid. You don't really care about the million dollars. Would you give up TV for a year? Okay. Good. Uh, what about this? Stay silent for one month. You cannot speak for a month. <laughs> one million dollars, though. One month. Come on. Yeah, she's half-heartedly raising her hand. Okay. Uh, and what about this one? This isn't too bad. It's just really gross. Eat a piece of gum that was stuck under the seat of a public like bus or subway. I mean, you have to put like five pieces in your mouth, but you just got to rip them out, put them in your mouth, chew them for like an hour. million dollars. Everyone should raise their hand there. No, it's like five seconds of... Misery for a million dollars. Okay, well, I don't know if you guys know this, but Donald Trump is running for president, and I don't still know if he's like serious or not. For some reason, it's kind of funny to me as I think about him running for president. But if you guys are uh, up to date in all the politics, when he announced, one of the things that he said to kind of display his candidacy as he was running was like, "Look, I'm filthy rich. It's like I, I don't need anyone else's money for my campaign. I, I'm I'm okay. I'm I've, I'm filthy rich." Was his quote. I just remember reading that and laughing. And I want to pose something to you this morning. You know, if, if uh, Donald Trump is up here, a million dollars in a suitcase, and he says, hey, look, I want you guys to do three, three or four things for me. Doesn't matter how long of a time, maybe a couple months to a year, three or four things. It's not something that you're going to have to like, compromise your morals or anything like that, but you're going to have to get up a little bit earlier in the morning, maybe an hour or 30 minutes. I want you to read this book of mine. I want you to maybe tell some people about it. And then at nighttime, when you go to bed, I want you to read that book again. And you can't just 
skip these things. Like this is the detailed outline of what it takes for you to get a million dollars. And so it's literally like, okay, I have to wake up an hour earlier. I have to read, you know, a certain number of chapters of this book. I have to tell some people each day and I have to read this book again for the last 30 minutes before I go to bed at night. How many of you guys would take that deal? Okay. So here's the deal. I, I would, I would argue that most of us would probably take that deal because really it's not, we're not having to sacrifice a whole lot. In the mornings when you really don't want to get up an hour earlier, I mean, what's going to happen there is you're going to think about it and be like, man, I'm getting a million dollars at the end of this year. And in those moments that you really just don't want to, you want 15 minutes more of sleep or 30 minutes more of sleep, you're going to sit there and be like, man, am I really going to waste a million dollars for 30 more minutes of sleep? And so as we would think about it, I would be convinced that most of us would say, yeah, I'll do it. I'll sacrifice a couple hours a day to get a million dollars. And we would do that because we consider that worth it. The value of what we're having to give up for what we're getting, we would say, okay, that is worth the sacrifice and it's worth it. And so let me get into a little bit what we're getting into this morning and and ask you this question, hypothetically. You know, if I could tell you, hey, look, you want, I could tell you the way that you could experience more of God in your life. That you could experience more of his presence in your daily life. That you could experience more of his peace, more of his joy, more of the Holy Spirit. And if I told you, all you got to do is a couple things, would we do it? And I'm not going to ask you guys to raise your hand because I, I know at least in your head, you're like, yeah, I would. I would do it. But the truth is, is that we know that that's offered to us. That that's not a hypothetical I'm giving to you guys. We know that experiencing more of God, enjoying him more, having him be more a part of our life, experiencing more of the Holy Spirit and comfort and peace. We know that we can. God lays it out for us what it requires, and it does require sacrifice. But here's the issue, is that unlike the million dollars, as we think about those mornings where it's like, man, am I really going to give up a million dollars for 30 more minutes of sleep? That, That often, we don't think it's worth it. So it's either we don't really buy into it fully, or we don't value God enough. We don't value what he says and where he says life is found. We would rather play around these other things and give our time to other things instead of him. And so this morning, we're going to be in Psalm 119. If you have your Bibles, before I read it, I am going to pray for us, but I'd love for you guys to pull out your Bibles. There's some under you. If you don't have yours, we're going to be going through Psalm 119, verses 9 through 16. And David, in this psalm specifically, he says, I delight in your word more than all riches. And Psalm 119 is, is the longest chapter in the Bible, I mean, the longest book, longest chapter in the Bible. It's super long, and it's all about God's word and how much it's valued. And often he says, I value it more than riches. He'll go on later in chapters to say that it is worth more than gold, precious gold, on and on and on. And really the aim this morning in my prayer for me, as I'm getting to prepare for this and talk to you guys, my prayer for you guys is that we would be people who delight in God and delight in his word for as much as, it, as he deserves. That if we're going to sit and say he is the most valuable thing, he's the most valuable thing that we could give our life to, if we say that with our lips, may we be people who say that with our actions. And I can't do that. I can't do that for myself and I can't do that for you guys. And so let's pray for a minute and ask God to meet us here this morning. Uh, Father, we just thank you for your word. Uh, We thank you that it is more valuable than anything else that we will come into contact with, God. That it is alive and it is active and you speak and you move through it, Lord. 
May you be with us this morning. God, we invite you here. We ask that your Holy Spirit would move. Uh, Lord, that you would convict us in the areas that we need to be convicted in. That we'd be encouraged in the areas we need to be encouraged in. God, we need to hear from you this morning. That's why we're here. We just ask that you would do that, Lord. By your grace, by your goodness. In the name of Jesus, we ask that. Amen. All right. So, also, I printed my notes double-sided so this could get real tricky quickly. But we're in Psalm 119, verses 9 through 16. And David is going to pose the question here, if you guys are looking at 9, he says, How can a young man keep his way pure? How can a young man keep his way pure? Young man, young woman. The young, really, the only point he's saying, the only reason he's saying young there is because he just wants the reader to know, like, I'm talking about an immature person, anybody, youngest to oldest. But how does a young person keep his way pure? And so before we step into this, I just want to clarify one thing with this idea of how does a young man keep his way pure? How does a young woman, how do we keep our way pure? I think we hear purity, we hear holiness, we hear these things, and we're like, yes, okay, I know I'm supposed to do that, okay? But I want to take it a step further because even in that, I think oftentimes we think about like just sexual purity or, or whatever because, you know, we're in college, we just went over Song of Solomon. It's like we hear that a lot. But I want to take it a step further and say, look, when we're talking about purity, when we're talking about holiness here, we're talking about God because that's who he is. He is holy. He is pure. When David here is asking to, to attain holiness and attain purity, he's asking, how do I live a life that I get to experience God more, that I get to know him, that I get to walk with him, that I get to enjoy him? Because what we were ultimately created for was to enjoy God and glorify him, to glorify God with our life and enjoy him. That's what we were made for. And David is basically asking that question, how do I do that? And, and the thing is here that I just wanted to touch on too is that when we get off track of that, when we miss it, when we're, when we're going in a different direction, that's when we sin. It's when we do anything that grieves God. And what happens there is that we, as we choose to sin, or even in moments where we don't even know we're choosing to sin, what's really happening is we're believing a lie that we're going to be able to find a joy and a pleasure that is outside of God that we can put something else on the pedestal of God to find our joy and pleasure. And that's often what our sin boils down to. And it can be the smallest of things to the, to the most, you know, detestable of things. I mean, it can be just sleeping in more. But I'm saying it's, it's when we say this is more worth it than it is knowing God and enjoying him. And here's the deal. The sin always overpromises and it always underdelivers. What it will do is it'll numb your heart. It'll make it callous. It'll make it hard. It'll make you insensitive to the things of God and not care about them. It always overpromises and underdelivers to where you have to keep going back for more. And so David this morning, thank God for, for God's grace that even if that's the place you find yourself in, maybe struggling in some areas this morning, that God is, David is asking the question, how, how do we keep our way pure? What do we do? And so read with me now in verses 9 through 16. I got the ESV translation, but it says, verses 9, How can a young man keep his way pure? By guarding it according to your word. With my whole heart I seek you. Let me not wander from your commandments. I've stored up your word in my heart that I might not sin against you. Blessed are you, O Lord. Teach me your statutes. With my lips I declare all the rules of your mouth. In the way of your testimonies I delight as much as in all riches. I will... Meditate on your precepts and fix my eyes on your ways. And I will delight in your statues and I will not forget your word. All right. And so 
in this chunk of scripture, David is going to give us eight things, eight ways that we can walk towards purity, which again, I want you to get that idea of sometimes just purity stays in itself. What we're talking about is how we walk with God, how we glorify him and enjoy him, which is what we were created to do. How do we do that? Okay. So the first one, if you guys look, uh, verse 10, I mean, in verse 9, it says, How can a young man keep his ways pure? By guarding it according to your word. Your translation may say keep. Mine says guard. I love this idea of guard. I can't help but think of a little bit of basketball. You know, as you think about guarding, I mean, what are you trying to do here? You're trying to play defense. You, you know, you're trying to, to keep something from getting by you. You're trying to box it in, trying to contain it. I just got to throw this out because I am a Houston fan. We got some basketball fans in here, maybe? Cool. Anybody from Houston? Okay, well, I, all, I can come, all that comes to mind, sadly, during this is I just can't help but think of Ricky Rubio guarding James Harden. James Harden literally crossed him over. This guy trips over himself, falls on the ground, and James Harden steps back and makes this three. It's a beautiful image in my head. But I get this, I get this idea of guarding, you know, as a, as a basketball player, like trying to contain box. Don't let someone buy you. Uh, in 1 Timothy 1.14, the word says, guard the good deposit entrusted to you. Guard the good deposit trusted to you. Like, do we feel like we do much guarding of what's been given of us? Like, God says, that I've given you something precious. I've given you my Holy Spirit. I've given you myself that I'm dwelling in you. He says, guard it. And I think often we just, we just kind of live. You know, we, we maybe get in the scriptures. We maybe walk with him or, or, or we try to walk with him. But we don't have much of this guard and this defense. This idea that there's something in us that... We need to guard. And, and I think about Ephesians 6 as well as, as 10 through 15 talks about the, the war that we're in. That we're in a battle against not the things we see, but the things unseen. The evil spirits and the principalities in this world, like we're at a battle. And that's what they want. To, they want God and, and what he's entrusted to you, the Holy Spirit. They, he wants to dismin- the devil wants to dis- diminish it as much as he can. And when we have this idea that we're just kind of going out and everything we do and the decisions we make and what we look at and it just doesn't matter and we don't do much guarding, we don't think it's precious enough to guard, then we're, we're leaving ourselves up to, to be numbed by this. And two, when I think about this verse, when it says, how can a young man keep his way pure? By keeping it according to your word. By keeping it according to your word, keeping it guarding. Often, the way we look at our walk with the Lord and our purity and how we're doing is we compare to those around us. Am I right? For good or bad, we, we look at those who were around and we say, well, I mean, I'm doing this. This person's doing this. Like, I, I'm, I'm kind of matching up here or I'm not or, you know, I'm doing better. And, and that's kind of our standard for, for how we feel that we're walking. And I just can't help, as I was thinking about it this morning, I just had this image, like, when we finish life here and we sit before God, we will not have a friend next to us to compare ourselves to. Like God has given you his word to walk by and to live by and to compare yourselves to. Like that is our attainment. That's what we're walking towards. Not what other people and how they're doing. I mean, what a shame it is if God is calling you higher in a place, but you know, you know someone here is struggling and you feel like you're doing just good enough. But God wants to take you so much further. And I'm, I'm again, personal experience, I think about all the time. I, I look at those around me and I'm like, well, I'm doing all right. But David says here that how we keep it pure, we, we keep it, we guard it according to your word, not according to other people. And, and then a, a quick other thing that just kind of, as I was thinking about this, is that 
I think a lot of times we just have this lackadaisical outlook at times being like, look, I've been saved. I accept Jesus as my savior. In the long view of things, I will be with God forever. And that's amazing. But we kind of we use that as a pass. You know, that we take things lackadaisically. We take our walks lackadaisically because sometimes we just think like, hey, look, I've gotten the pass in. And I'm not saying that that means you're taking the pass and you're just doing whatever you want. I'm saying for even those of us who, who try to walk with the Lord, but we just kind of leave it at that at times. And I, I just, you know, as we look at this, I just want us to know there's so much joy. There's so much of more God's presence in your life on the line here with how we, how we walk. Your decisions have consequences. May we fight to keep it to the word and know that it's for our good and joy, not so that we can miss out on something. So the first thing that David says is we keep it, we guard it according to God's word. If you guys are reading with me here, the next verse says, With all my heart I have sought you. Do not let me wander from your commandments. With all my heart. We seek God wholeheartedly. And again, I don't know if you guys have read a lot of C.S. Lewis, but as soon as I was kind of reading and studying this, the first thing that came to my mind is this quote that he gives. And I think it so perfectly describes our situation and just us as a people often. And he says this, It would seem that our Lord finds our desires not too strong, but too weak. We are half-hearted creatures fooling around with drink and sex and ambition when infinite joy is offered us. Like an ignorant child who wants to go on making mud pies in the slum because he cannot imagine what is meant by the offer of a holiday at the sea. We're far too easily pleased. And, and look, this morning, I might harp on a lot of different points over and over again, and, and I'm not going to apologize for it because I think that, again, I'm, I'm speaking to myself here, like, we need to hear these things over and over again. We're far too easily pleased. That God has offered us so much more, and we're so content with what we have. We're like this little kid playing around with all these little things in the mud where he's, he's offering a holiday at sea. And I think, too, in, in uh, the New Testament, Matthew six twenty four, it says, No one can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and wealth. And, and Jesus here says wealth, but you can interchange anything for it. We cannot serve God and whatever it may be that vies for your attention, your passion, your whatever you consider valuable to you. That you can't serve two things. God wants us to serve him with our whole heart. He is so worthy of that. And he is the best thing that our our heart could serve. And he makes it clear that we can't serve two things. And we try. Do we not try all the time? James 4.4 says this way, You adulterous people, do you not know that friendship with the world is enmity with God? Therefore, whoever wishes to be a friend of the world makes himself an enemy of God. We can't be friends with both. You may know people who don't know the Lord, who don't walk with him. They may be able to do a lot more things than you can do in terms of, you know, there's no filter for a lot of things. The things they watch, the things they listen to, what they involve themselves in, they can do a lot more than you. They're not entrusted. They haven't been given the Holy Spirit. They're not a dwelling place for the living God. Y'all are. And that means we're going to have to miss out on some things. And I remember often in college, wrestling with this, struggling with this, failing in this. And, you know, I, I have a friend back here. I remember going to Ole Miss for a weekend for a football game and just seeing that lifestyle of partying. And, and there being moments where I'm like, man, that'd be fun. 
And, and, and we really, we, we got into the book of John and we looked at it and, and that verse of saying, look, you can't be friends with the world and friends with God. Pick one. What do you think's more worth it? There's going to be times where we feel like the other thing's more worth it and it's not. It's a lie. And we've got to fight against that and stop having this mentality that we can half-heartedly do both. That God wants your whole heart. He wants a wholehearted pursuit. Um, and so what is it? What battles for your heart what, what battles for your heart and your, your tension and your desires outside of Jesus? And again, they can be really good things. I mean, I think about my girlfriend. I mean, there's, we, we've all been there. Like, there's things that at times will battle for our passion, for our desire, what we're serving. We would be people that wholeheartedly serve God and feel that call. So seek God wholeheartedly is what David says. The next... Um, Psalm 119, verse 11 says, Your word I have treasured in my heart that I might not sin against you. Your word I have treasured in my heart that I might not sin against you. This next one is treasure the word in your heart. And see, this goes beyond this idea of treasure and the the King James says hid. I've hid your word in my heart that I might not sin against you. And see, this goes beyond this idea of uh, an emotional feeling reading of the scripture where it's like, oh, that sounds good. I like that verse. And I'm going to jot that one down or something. Or the intellectual just studying in your head kind of verse. Like he's saying, I have hid and I have treasured it in my heart. And, and when it goes from those places to something that you treasure, it changes the way you do things. It will change the way you respond to things. And just like I talked about in the beginning with what we value in terms of money and stuff, it will change how you react to situations and what you value. I told this guy, I already did, but I'm giving another one. This is my friend Bailey back here and his wife, Paige. And Bailey and I... We're, uh, we're roommates for three years, one of my best friends. And he works for the New Orleans Saints now, and he uh, is like a scouting assistant. And we talk often, and the people that he works around and the other scouts, they travel a lot. And the things that they talk about, and the strip clubs, and the things that they think about, and the things that they are involved in, like he's around it all the time. There's a, there's a temptation to let your mind go places. To think about things. And a lot of times that's when it leads to action. But he's got a beautiful girl next to him. Her name is Paige and he treasures her. And that makes it not worth it to to partake in this conversation, in these thoughts, in this thing that people call fun and normal. You know, I think about another one of my friends. All my young friends are married. It's stupid. But uh, I think about my other friend. um, We were talking a few weeks ago and he's been married now for a year. Actually, this is their one year anniversary. Uh, we can all clap for them later. Uh, <laughs> but uh, I was talking to him. And they were married about two weeks before them. And he said that, look, man, is it, this, there's a challenge. Like, being married, having a wife that I, that I am committed to. Like, there's places like the gym or when I'm walking around at work, the things that girls wear, I want to look sometimes. Like, there's a temptation. And I have to fight it. And again, depending on how much you treasure something, if you treasure what it is that would make you not look at that, then you're not going to do it. And so in the same way, I think when we step into, you know, our faith that we think, okay, life is going to be easier now. The, the temptations and the struggles are going to be less. But God doesn't promise that. I mean, in, in Corinthians, he says that you are going to have trials. You're going to have temptations, but I'm going to give you a way out. I'm going to give you a way out in every situation that you're tempted by sin. And so you see the deal here is that when we get tempted with sin, what it really does is show us what we value and how much we value God. Because 
look, we are sinners. We all admit that, but we use it as an excuse. That God says he's given you a way out of sin so that you could experience more life and the abundant life. And what it takes sometimes is you, if you treasure him, you're going to say no to this. And again, often in our heads, you know, we say, of course, I don't treasure pornography more than God. But often that's the muck that we find ourselves in. And I get, like, I know there's addictions there, and I know there's other things that it's hard. And I know that you don't want that to be the case often. But again, like, would our value of God and our delight in him grow? And when it does, we will gladly turn our eyes in the direction when we're confronted with sin. You see, so we're not just trying to fix the, the, the give-in problem. We're trying to fix a deeper issue here. Man, that we would treasure the word of God. That we would treasure in our heart. Where we tre- what we treasure, there our heart will be also. I mean, it's the same idea there. Um, all right, so keep following with me. That was verse 11. We're in verse 12 now. It says, Blessed are you, O Lord. Teach me your statutes. And we got a desire to learn God's word. I was going to save some of this for the end, and I won't get into a lot of it, but I have some statistics of just biblical illiteracy. And we are a people, and we are in a world now where we do not know our Bibles. And again, if we're talking about this is the word of God, how can we not know our Bibles? How can we not give time to that? And before David gets to saying, teach me your statutes, like I want to learn, he says, blessed are you, O Lord. That's where he starts first. Because what he realizes is that what he's getting into is God's word. He's not just trying to read his Bible for some curiosity to pass some time for some entertainment, but he realizes that as he opens this, he's opening God's very word. He said, blessed are you. And so I think too, just a good, a good idea for us to, to, to think about and to have is that we would stop coming to the word even just kind of half-heartedly. That before we get into this, we would realize this is much different than any other book we'll come into contact with. This is God's word on a page. You know, maybe we, maybe we pause for a few seconds beforehand and acknowledge that and think about that. That will change the way you read scripture. But there is, a, there is an easy habit to get into where we're like, man, this is, you know, I'm just reading. And we're trying to pull out some encouraging things here. Man, we're dealing with God. David said, blessed are you, Lord, and then teach me. And I love this too because David knew God's word. Like he knew it far better than all of us. I mean, he was literally, look at Psalm 119, look at really the whole book of Psalms. He has written a lot about God's word. He knows it. But he's not tired of it. He's not bored with it. That as he thinks about it, he says, God, I want to know more. And, and as I thought about this, what came to mind is this past week, has anyone ever been to Mo Ranch? It's a Presbyterian church, that's why. And, uh, it's not a Presbyterian church, but it's like a Presbyterian retreat getaway. So I'm going to work for this church next year, and I'm doing some youth ministry, and I cannot wait. And this week I went to Mo Ranch to go meet some of my kids. But it was like this camp, and, you know, I kind of felt, <laughs> it was really funny. I was telling Sarah this story in the back, but uh, I, I came a day late because I taught last Sunday, and then I got there, and they started on Sunday, but I got there on Monday. And this is really a side note, so this is for free. But I walked into this room with about 20, like, high school kids and a couple leaders, and I'm always a little bit concerned that they're not going to know whether I'm like a, a youth or an adult. <laughs> and so I walk in there, and I'm like, shoot, I really hope they think I'm an adult. But I walk in there, and everyone's like awkwardly silent. Like I walked in just in the middle of a small group, and I'm like, who is this guy? And I walk in there, and I see an empty seat, and I kind of just walk towards it. <laughs> and I didn't, I was just like, hey, like, I'm here. 
I'm just a day late. And the lady goes, oh, cool. Well, everyone else had to do this yesterday, but you got to stand in the center and do sing I'm a Little Teapot and Dance. I don't know anybody in this room. I can't tell you like how frightened I was in that moment. It was like I was about to have to do the worst thing of my life. She was just messing with me and kidding. But I say all that really for no reason at all other than just to tell you that story. (laughs) But there's a 65-year-old guy. This church I'm going to work for, they haven't had a youth pastor for a little while now. And there's this, been this 65-year-old man named Eddie who's really been keeping it going. Like, he's been teaching on Sunday mornings. He's been pulling the youth together and pulling leaders together to go do things. And so I've met him briefly before, a real goofy guy, fun, but I hadn't spent much time with him. And I, like, God is so good. As I step into this next job, I am, I am even though it's weird, because all week he was like, look, you're my boss now. And I was like, this is the weirdest thing ever. You're like 40 years older than me. But... I am so thankful that I have someone that I'm going to learn so much from because this guy loves the word and he loves to teach it. And the story, as I think about this, that came to mind is that one night after all the camp had gone by, all of just your specific home group, so my kids I'm going to be pastoring next to or youth ministering to, whatever, it's, that's weird to say pastor to, uh, the kids that I'm going to be you know, working with, we all came back in one of the rooms and we just like did happy crappies, highs and lows. And uh, one night we he wanted to teach a story of Abraham. And so when we finished, he was like, hey, would you guys want to learn anything tomorrow night? Like, what do you want um, to be taught? And somebody says, the prodigal son. So this is already late at night, like 11 or something. And so he's thinking about it. We get in bed at about 11.45. Me and him are sharing rooms, not beds, different beds. And uh, I mean, I'm like out. I think I had asked him a question too and like fell asleep as he was talking. And uh, I like asked him how he came to know the Lord and I like fell asleep or something. <laughs> and, uh, but... He, we wake up the next morning, we probably went to bed around midnight, and he literally looks exhausted. I'm like, man, what's wrong with you? He's like, dude, I was up till 2 o'clock. I could not stop thinking about the prodigal son and, like, what I wanted to teach about it and thinking about it and on and on and on. And I just remember, like, I mean, t- seriously, humble, hardworking man. And as he said that, I was like, man, this guy loves the word. Like, he knows the prodigal son. He knows this, and he's read it over and over again. And when those kids said it to me, I'm like, that's cool, cool story. But this guy laid in bed for an hour and a half longer just thinking about it. And I, and I just loved that idea of, you know, this is not something that we ever learn enough of. You know, that we read First Thessalonians once and we get it. I mean, this is God's word that he speaks to us through the Holy Spirit that reveals things all the time. We will learn and we will not be anywhere close to knowing the word of God as we die. It's unsearchable. And, you know, I, I, I just, I find myself often, you know? It's like, well, I've read the New Testament plenty and read the Old Testament, and I don't know what to go into because I've read it, you know? And it's like, maybe we pray for God to give us this kind of lens to, to be people who say, like, God, it's unsearchable. Help me to see something new today, you know? It's not something that we can get bored with. So four, a desire to learn of God's word. Five, if you guys follow with me in verse 13, he says, With my lips I have told of all the ordinances of your mouth. With my lips I have told of all the ordinances of your mouth. So we desire to learn God's word and then we go teach it. That's the natural process of how these things work. That when we are learning about something and we desire and delight in something and we enjoy something, we want to go teach it. We want to go share it with other people. I think about like TV shows, you know, you know, 
if you guys are really hooked onto a series right now, I mean, what do you do? You, you go tell your friends about it. You're like, dude, Friday Night Lights, awesome, got to watch it. You know, what, whatever that may be, like that's the natural response is we see something that's good and we enjoy it and we learn about it. We want other people to experience that. I mean, your sports teams, whatever it may be. Like that's how things work. We desire to learn, we learn, we grow, and we want to go teach others. But I think, again, as I think about this issue of, of, of teaching God's word to others, of sharing it, again, we, th- we think of that as a duty and an obligation. It's, you know, just, again, think about the TV show. No one tells you to go enjoy that and then go share it with somebody. You just do it. You want them to experience that. Is that not how we should be with the Lord and his word? That as we experience it, how can we not just go share that with people? But often it's a duty and an obligation. And again, some of these things, like, I don't have the answers to. I'm right there in the boat with you. And I'm asking God that he needs to do something in us to change us. This, is, this shouldn't be so. You see, David's getting at what we delight in here. He's, I'm not just telling you guys, go share. Go, but we're missing a step if, if we're not enjoying God and then wanting to go share him with others. And, and the other thing I see often is we kind of feel like, it's this consumer mentality. You know, we come to church and we listen and we want to get something out of it. And we want to be encouraged. And we feel this need of being like filled up enough before we can go share or teach or disciple or whatever. You know, like we find ourselves in a season maybe where we're just like, no, I just need to spend time with God right now. Just me and him. And like he needs to fill me up some so that I can like overflow and, and share that with others. But it's like, that's not biblical, I mean, I think about the Bible, I'm like, be ready in season or out of season. I mean, what is the greatest commandment that God gives us? It's that we would go make disciples. Like, this is how it works. There's not like a time out where, you know, you just need to be filled up enough. If anything, the reason you may be feeling that way is because you aren't doing what he's asked you to do. That as we go out and share, you don't have to be some get-it-all theologian to sit down with someone and just try to encourage each other to walk in the Lord and read the Bible together. God's not asking you to have it all figured out before you do it. He's just asking yourself to go make yourself available so that he can go make disciples and that more people can know and more people can make disciples. That's how this thing works, guys. He just wants people that are available and willing. But we're consumers. We have that consumer mentality, and that is so not of God and biblical. And again, I I want the mindset to change that maybe the reason you're feeling less full than you should be, and that excuse you're using to not go do that, it's because you're not doing that. I can't tell you how many times that I've felt that way, or then I'll go sit down with somebody. I mean, you're just blessed by the most random of people, and of, no, I mean, it can be a little kid to the oldest person. I just hung out with a 60-year-old all week. It super encouraged me. But seriously, you know, like, may we be people who teach others. That's, That's how we get on this road, and stay on this road, and how we delight in God more. That we would teach God's word to others. And again, just to close this one out, we must talk about God and his word as well by preaching the word to others and being ready and willing to answer any question that someone might have about the reason for your hope. That, man, the time that we live in right now and all the things that are going on in our world, we got to have an answer to the reason of the hope in us. A good answer. We've got to know our word. We've got to know our Bible. The next verse, 14. I have rejoiced in the way of your testimonies as much in all riches. And this is 
this is my point six, recognize the value of God's word. David says that the testimonies are worth more than all riches. And I talked about this a little bit. This is real quick, but there's a couple of verses I wanted to read. Psalm 119.72 says, The law of your mouth is better to me than a thousand of gold and silver pieces. Psalm 119.127 says, Therefore I love your commandments above gold. Yes, above fine gold. It's more desirable than anything because it has the greatest reward as we follow and as we read and as we know it. And again, this, is, this was the verse that really stuck with me is that, that we, our desires are off. We say that here, but does our life show that, that we desire this more than anything? I think about Paul and saying, I consider everything a loss compared to the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus. Like he considered everything a loss. You know, with that, I, I just want to really, I'm not even going to add anything else to this. I want to read one thing of Romans 16 and then move on to the next point. Romans 16 as we think about the value of God's word, just listen to this. Just listen to what this says. And this is all throughout the scripture. Verses 25 through 27 in, verse, in chapter 16 says, Now to him who is able to strengthen you according to my gospel and the preaching of Jesus Christ, according to the revelation, the revelation of the mystery that was kept secret for long ages, but has now been disclosed and through the prophetic writings has been made known to all nations according to the command of the eternal God to bring about the obedience of faith. To the only wise God be glory forevermore through Jesus Christ. Amen. He says there's been a mystery for ages and it is revealed now here. And he says it brings about the obedience of faith. This is so valuable. And again, it's, it's, I need to hear that. It's out of my hands to, I don't have something to go tell you guys to, you know, it's not this quick fix of a system, but we need to recognize this and we need to be people who, who realize we don't value God enough and his word enough, and we, we should. What we have in front of us is more precious than anything else you'll come into contact with that we would consider valuable, most valuable. I got two more, and I'm finishing up here. Verse 15 of Psalm 119, David says, I will meditate on your precepts and regard your ways. That we, we must do more than simply hear, learn, and strive to practice God's word. All these are important, but meditation is, is where we really take this. Like he said, that I treasure in my heart. Meditation is where this happens. And I don't know if you guys were here last week, but we talked about prayer. And, and one of the struggles with prayer is that it, it takes time. It takes quietness, and it takes stillness. And, and the same thing is here is that often in the Psalms, he says, as I go to bed and as I wake up, I meditate upon your law. But, you know, what do we meditate on throughout our day? Like I said last week, during that time of going to bed and waking up in the quiet moments, I mean, we fill it. We fill it with mindless entertainment, overstimulation, where God is saying, hey, take us some extra time to meditate more deeply on what I'm saying. I think Spurgeon has some quote of like, it is far better to meditate and know like one verse and it is many chapters. You can skim as much of the Bible as you want. You can read five chapters in your quiet time. Good for you. What did you learn? What did God teach you? Did any of it sink in? I mean, meditation, we, again, there's no shortcut. And I just can't help but think of, really, I think the thing for us in this world, in this age that we live in is how we fill our quiet spaces. And God is asking you to fight that urge to pull out your phone and to fill it with noise. And he's asking you to meditate more. Take some time to try to memorize a verse. I promise you, it will do far more than you think. 
And I promise you that you can. If you tell yourself you can't, it's not true. I mean, you guys are in college at Texas A&M University. You can memorize something. <laughs> Meditate upon God's word. Uh, this is my last point, and I'll be done here. Verse 16. I will delight in your statutes. I will not forget your word. And again, this is the prayer. This is the whole aim of this morning, is that uh, we would be people who delight in God. As I go back and think about that, that start, as I think, I'm, 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 seriously, I'm thinking about myself. If Donald Trump said, hey, here's a million dollars, wake up a little bit earlier, read a little bit of my book, tell someone about it, pass it along. I'm telling you, I would have many moments where I'm like, I just want to hit snooze really bad, please. But I would think about it, I was like, I'm getting a million dollars at the end of this year. Is this really worth it? Is this really worth it? And what's sad is that I think about it, I think I would fight and show more discipline for that than I would for him and for God's word. And that's messed up. We have a, a value system off in us, and we need God to do something there. May we delight in him because he is the most delightable thing. He is the most enjoyable thing that we will ever experience as we walk and know and walk in purity like David has asked. How do we keep our ways pure? And I'll tell you, the world doesn't need any more half-hearted Christians. The world does not need any more half-hearted salesmen. I mean, people know when your heart's not in something. God doesn't just need you. I need to be careful there. (laughs) Because the word is powerful, and when you speak his words, it can bring dead people to life. He can do that through your words, even when you don't mean them. Absolutely. Absolutely. But let me tell you, you will have a great impact on people, a greater impact on people when you speak from your heart. And I'm not sitting here asking, you know, we're not called to just be perfect people. Be real. But may we delight in him as we should. That's the place that God wants us to go preach him. That's that's what should drive us to the nations, you know? Like out of delight, not out of just duty. And why do we need to delight in God? Spurgeon, Charles Spurgeon, C.H. Spurgeon answers this question. He says, but what is the good of this delight, asks one. Why should Christians be, happy, be such a happy people? Why it is good in all ways. It is good for our God. It gives him honor among the sons of men when we are glad. It is good for us because it makes us strong. The joy of the Lord is your strength. It is good for the ungodly for when they see Christians glad, they long to be believers themselves. It is good for our fellow Christians. It comforts them and tends to them and cheers them. Whereas if we look gloomy, we shall spread this disease. And others will be wretched and gloomy too. For all these reasons and far more that can be given, it is good and pleasant thing that a believer should delight himself in God. And we're called to be joyful. Like we're called to have our joy in the Lord. May we beg God for that more. You know, if, if, if you're feeling low in that area... May we beg God and may we see the worthiness of his, of his word and of him far more than anything else. And I, and I really wanted to finish with this. I had a couple more things, but I really need to wrap it up. You know, I'm kind of, I think it's Isaiah 48 says this. So if you hadn't listened to anything, listen to me here as I close. Isaiah 48 says this, that the grass withers and the flowers fade, but the word of our Lord will stand forever. And I used to have a youth pastor that every time I didn't give two cents about the Lord, I didn't care. I sat there and I didn't listen for many years at the time that I was in high school. But every time he preached, he would say that. He'd say, listen. He, he would hold up his Bible like this and he says, the grass withers and the flowers fade, but the word of our Lord will stand forever. 
And he would say, what that means is everything that you will come into contact with, everything that you see with your eye, it will perish, it will pass away, it will fade, but his word. And he said, it would be very wise for you to listen this morning. And then he would teach. And I didn't care about what he said, but every time he said it, I was like, dang, that's, that's, some, that's real stuff right there. And, and may, we, may we treat and feel that way about God's word. That everything else that we will come into contact with will pass away and will fade, but his word, it will last forever. It is more valuable than anything else. We need to be reminded of that. I'm done. I think we're going to sing two songs, and uh, you guys will be free. If you guys just pray for me for a second, and I'm going to come up. Uh, Lord, we just confess. First off, God, we just confess that we delight in things often that aren't worth delighting in. God, that we are easily and quickly satisfied by muck and by mud when you've offered us abundant life. God, we we get bored with you sometimes. We don't think it's worth waking up earlier to spend more time in your word, to know you, to seek you. We just confess it, Lord. And I'd ask you guys right now that you would, that you would confess, that you would that you would speak to God, that you'd be real with God with where you're at. And so, Lord, we confess that to you. And we confess it, and we thank you for Jesus, that we are forgiven, that your grace and your goodness covers us, that we are washed clean, that you say we're pure as white as snow. Lord, we confess, we give it to you, we trust you with it. Lord, now we ask you to change our desires. God, would would you make us people who see the glory, who see the good and the delight in running hard after you, Lord, in loving and trusting your word and delighting in it more than all things. Help us to guard the good deposit that you've given us, God. And may we go be people who delight in God and then share that delight with the world that needs it, Lord. Help us. Holy Spirit, help us. Um, We just thank you for your word, God. Thank you for your grace. Thank you for your son, Jesus. Uh, It's in his name that we pray all these things. Amen.